This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Cheryl Smith is the embodiment of soul food and earth mother. She is the owner and chef of one of Brooklyn's most beloved restaurants, Cheryl's Global Soul. And she's a caterer, a singer, a photographer, and a TV personality on the Food Network. Cheryl's idea of soul food is as the ultimate comfort that touches your soul. There's no cuisine that doesn't have a soul food. And Cheryl has made sure New Yorkers and tourists alike get the real thing the right way with the touch of, well, soul. Coming up, you'll hear how Cheryl's success and fame started from peddling sandwiches around town. What it's like to be a woman and a woman of color in the food world, always having to prove yourself. How it's okay to cook soul food from all over the world if you do your homework to keep it authentic. How Cheryl became an inadvertent Food Network TV star. And you'll hear about the support from the women who believed in Cheryl even more than she believed in herself. Get ready for some soul, some music, and a very impressive story. In the vast culinary landscape we share, we are all carving out a place for ourselves. Each of us in our own way is a one-woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Cheryl, you are um, a chef. You are a celebrity chef on television. You are a rock star. Now I'm hearing that you're a singer, maybe a songwriter too, but you certainly are the owner and creator, founder, guru of one of Brooklyn's most beloved restaurants, Cheryl's Global Soul Food. Now, do you use the word restaurant or cafe? Uh, well, it's we have, wear both hats. During the day, we're a coffee shop cafe, as you might know, and then during the evening lends itself more to the restaurant aspect. It's, and then that's where we really go through the global soul um, menu because we take in different influences from around the world. Well, we definitely want to talk about that because that's a really great phrase. I'm not sure I ever heard that before, global soul food. But you've been in the business for a long time, so I want to kind of dial it back a little bit and just talk about how you got started. You have been cooking, I think, professionally for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And 20 years ago, you know, being a woman, being a chef wasn't necessarily like the most desirable or coolest thing in the world. And it certainly wasn't the easiest. So how did you get started? What was your first restaurant gig? Or what were you even doing before your first restaurant gig? Before before my before I talked my way into my first restaurant, I (laughs) actually was making sandwiches at home. And I had a sandwich route in Soho. (laughs) So I had a couple of fishing bags. And I would load them up with sandwiches that I'd made that day. Like I got up, you know, roasted the peppers. I mean, I was so such a purist. I mean, uh, in a sense, I could have just used a canned red pepper. Um, <laughs> oh, but no, not I you. Was, no, no. I was, I was so, like, naive in the fact that I thought everything had to be done from scratch. And, you know, but which is good because it translates to flavor. Um, so I was going around. I would leave Brooklyn, take the train, come out in Soho. And I would start at one end of Soho and wrap around to the West Village. And, you know, I, I'd worked in Soho for a while. And there's like, you know, for the clerks that work in all these little posh stores, 
they don't have the budget to eat in a lot of the restaurants there. And they're just like a captive audience. So I started with doing that, like making the sandwiches, going from door to door. They'd come out, pick a sandwich. And I was also doing these great little baked items. And because I was doing that, I started selling to Angelica Film Center because they had a coffee shop. So I would stop there, drop my baked stuff off, then continue on um, on my sandwich route. And I started getting, you know, like working for these uh, individual clients ultimately led to their companies even saying, oh, we love your sandwiches. This is like management. Um, I'm having some people to look at, you know, our gear. Can you do a lunch for us? Do you, can you do a breakfast for us? <laughs> this is incredible. So it started growing <laughs> that way. And I got busier and busier and I'm cooking from home, which is illegal. Oh, that was another question, but <laughs> <Just> okay. <joking. laughs> but I mean, you're not a certified kitchen, but you know, you're doing really clean, good food. So I taught myself like all of the processes. And I mean, initially, I didn't even like to cook. Like I left my mother's house really not cooking because she was such an amazing cook. But then I was, you know, had dinner parties. I learned from my parents how how wonderful it is to bring people together. And uh, so I learned that I, and I started cooking at home, having dinner parties, then the sandwich business grew out of that. And then I was like, oh, I'm like bursting at the seams here. I, I really should consider opening a spot. And I started looking at spaces and I quickly realized that maybe I don't know as much about this as I should. <laughs> How could you? <laughs> Which, no, exactly. And, and that's the thing. It's like I always tell people it's not enough to say, oh, I love to cook. So I'm going to open a restaurant. No. That's a real fantasy. That, and it it's is. not a... You know, it's a misguided right. one. <laughs> I love to eat, so I'm going to become a cook. There's so much more involved. Um, How about I love to eat so I can be a restaurant critic? That's yeah. another misguided <laughs> idea. Exactly, <laughs> when you don't know the processes again. So I then decided, like, okay, you know, maybe I'll go back, go to school. Realize quickly that you're gonna, you could spend that kind of money, and then you end up low man on the totem pole, making very little money at an entry-level job in a restaurant. So then I was like, well what restaurants do I like? And I started checking the one ads at the time. The village voice was very useful for that. And I went on a bunch of interviews and I kept coming across the same kind of thing. And what was I, that exactly, Cheryl? You I, have no experience? No, exactly. <laughs> not even that. Oh, that? No, it's not even the experience part. It was the fact that so many restaurants really didn't want a woman in their kitchen. Tell me. And certainly not a black woman. They were like not even considering, you know, I wanted to be in the kitchen. And I had to sell myself as someone who I have these skills, great knife skills. All of the things that I thought were like a handicap, I totally like said, look, I can do this. You know, I sold myself that you'd have no regrets. I'm a quick learner. No, I've never been on the line, which means you don't know the pressures of tickets coming in. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's different. As you know, catering can be very different from being on a line where they're firing food all the time. But anyway, so I was going on interviews, uh, really came across obstacles of, you know, kitchens that didn't want a woman in there. But at that, at that point, you were pretty sure you really did want to be in the food, food oh, business. Oh, I absolutely you knew. knew. Okay. I just knew I needed someone to give me a break. Mm. And I came across a restaurant on the Bowery called Marion's, which I, you know, is such a really great spot. So many amazing people work there, have come up through there. And that's the other thing about the restaurant business. You meet so many creative, talented people. But anyway, so I, I had a meeting with Michael and Richard, the owners. 
And I think he was under a veiled threat of he was going to get, you know, <laughs> this woman in there to kick his cook's ass or something like that. Good. Anyway, he said, you know, all right, we'll take a chance. I mean, see if it's a fit or not. And from there, I started as a line cook and learned the stations. I became like the saute and grill person. Wow. Really probably should have started in the salad station, but, you know. Or sandwiches. Uh, sandwiches, <laughs> right, you know, but uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, they gave me a chance. And within no time, I mean, it was, it benefited them. I, I'm passionate about food. I love being in the kitchen. So it's not like cooks are like kicking and screaming from service starts. I mean, I really loved it. Almost to the detriment of working with some people who are like hated being in the kitchen mm. and were like, Smith, why are you doing so much? Or, you know, slow down. Who are you trying to impress? And I'm thinking, I'm not trying to impress anybody. You're I'm doing, doing what thing. I love. Yes. And I'm enjoying this. And I, you know, you come in with a good attitude and um and the desire to learn because i had i had a mission like this is where i start my mission towards my own restaurant so that was in the back of your mind in the back yes. of my mind and always like i didn't want to be like a mercenary cook and just go from restaurant to restaurant i wanted to starting here learn how to be a good cook and then earn the mantle of chef because it's not again you just because you're in a kitchen doesn't mean you're a chef it means you know and you're also then free to learn from everybody around you beautiful you know Cheryl I really have well I have so many questions and I'm so excited that you're here today the restaurant Marion's actually is has this kind of personal resonance for me and I am so sorry I never got there because on the way from Manhattan to my house in Brooklyn every night I would pass Marion's and it was also my mother's name and it was the way she spelled it so I would say to whoever I was with I have to get there I want to go there and it, it was such a beautiful storefront I mean I remember it so vividly but you were there for quite a few years I was, yeah. and what was the cuisine I never really knew what even the menu was It was American continental mm -hmm. with some influences from France and Italy uh the owners were um gay couple they were super supportive They really had a family atmosphere, like all the waiters there. They were very supportive of, like, you know, waiters typically have other things that they do. Yeah, they're actors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or painters or dancers. And so this is just the bread and butter for them. But they really created a very creative, supportive atmosphere for everyone, which also I, I think I live that now. It's and so funny you should say that, Cheryl. I was thinking about your mother, and even though you didn't literally learn from her because you said you kind of didn't cook because she was so good, clearly something was uh, through osmosis. You learned a lot from her. And I was thinking about your own restaurant. From the minute I made a phone call to Cheryl Soul Food to going there yesterday, the woman behind the, the bar... She said something to me. She said, because I had this most delicious bread pudding, she goes, well, how did you like it? I said, I liked it, but I also really like you. <laughs> I, didn't, I hope she didn't think I was coming on to her, but I was, there, I was there with my husband. But the point is what you're saying about Marion's and this kind of family atmosphere within 15 minutes of just being in your restaurant yesterday, I felt it. And I haven't felt that a lot of places in New York. It is exciting, but it obviously it's who you are and why you attract certain people and why the restaurant has been the place to go for brunch on weekends. People stand an hour and a half in line. You have 30 seats and you do over 300 brunches. Uh, now I'm hearing that you sing on Thursday nights at dinner and it becomes, I don't know, do you have candles and tablecloths yeah, or you do? We don't oh do, uh, we don't do tablecloths because mm -hmm. it's, you know, 
but it's white tabletop and you know it's beautiful you know we the white tabletop takes care of the tablecloth aspects yeah no one really expects tablecloths anymore <laughs> but from marion's i know uh had a great chance to look at your career path and your resume. I mean, you've worked in some very impressive restaurants, too. You were in Lola, you were in Tocqueville. And then I guess one day you really got to live your dream. You opened your own place. Yeah. I mean, at some point you're busy working, making other people, you know, money. I mean, at Marion's, I went from line cook to sous chef to executive chef. And then I oversaw their catering end, too, which is also where I started to really dabble in the world flavors. Because when you're feeding people... Sometimes for a week at a time, you don't want to give them the same thing. And I really don't believe flavor sh- should be superficial. So when you get to cultural foods, there's a lot of marinating. There's a lot of ways, brining, things that really impart a lot of flavor. So that took the catering level there to another height. But on the other hand, I was there and I was, you know, it's easy to get caught up in a place where you're comfortable. It's all good. And then you... The, you you forget why you were you started, and at some point I had to step back and say, okay, if I'm going to have my own restaurant, I need to know how many restaurants work, and you know every configuration, every the size. I mean, I worked in hotel kitchens because I needed to see what was essential to the kitchen besides besides the stove and the sink, um, how different spaces worked, the menus. How do you build a menu? You don't like some people that have never been in the business just have this idea of a menu, but they don't understand what equipment you'll need to make that menu come to life or, you know, the, the type of cooks you need or whatever. So I, I needed to continue my journey. So I left Marion's on good terms, still love those guys, but I had to keep moving because I had things to do. I had my own place ultimately to open. That is perfect. And when we come back, I want to hear about day one at Cheryl's Global Soul Food. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at RoseanneGold.com. So, Cheryl, it is a lot of people's fantasies, and women are also very entrepreneurial, I think. But you had a vision. You wanted your own restaurant. So did you know you wanted it to be in Brooklyn? Like, what were some of your criteria for getting started? Not to have to cross a bridge. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. And that Brooklyn deserved also great eateries, you know. So you found a location. Did you have money partners? Did you have a bank supporting you? I've seen how partners can create issues. I've worked in a couple of places where, you know, there was always infighting. It was never that Marion's, they were such a collaborative, great team. But um, at other places, just sometimes partners that have different work ethic or just sensibilities. And I saw clashing too much. Restaurants are very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And so you knew you wanted to do it on your own. Mm-hmm. I did, simply for that reason. So I'd never have to compromise what I do. In hindsight, it would have been good to have some silent partners. <laughs> <laughs> but now you don't you need know, anyone. No. You're doing your thing. I mean, I am so intrigued with your menu because it, it truly is global. So the global part, I really understand. You have 
grilled jerk chicken wings. You have steamed, yeah, yeah, steamed Thai uh, coconut curry mussels with jasmine rice. I know you're really famous for your Creole barbecue jumbo shrimp. You've got a Moroccan vegetable tagine, a bulgogi ribeye, which is, of course, in the Korean repertoire. So I get the global part. Tell me about the soul part and how these particular dishes wound up on your menu. Well, okay, so soul food, inherently, every culture has its form of soul food. So if you go home with someone to their mother's house, they're going to cook your, she's going to cook you their traditional soul dish. Like if you were in Hungary, it would be chicken paprikash would probably be something or that cabbage you, noodles, because yeah. I am Hungarian, so I'm interested Ex- that you chose that. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, in exploring cultural cuisines, I always thought, man, what would it be? I would love if my friend from whoever, wherever they're from had their mother cook me their food. Because it's not just soul, soul food for soul food. It's food that feeds a soul. Food that when you eat it, that brings you so much comfort that it's like, ah. Oh. And even Americans, like a burger... Seems eh, innocuous enough, right? But a really good burger. I mean, I've I've got customers that like they're they fly all over the world and they come back to New York and they come back to Brooklyn and they get to the restaurant. They haven't even unpacked their luggage. They've just come by <laughs> to get a burger, the burger that we make, or the sake salmon, or mm. some dish that they love because it's it's what makes them feel like they're back home. I appreciate this so much. I never really thought about soul food really as something feeding the soul or equal to comfort food. I guess that's really what it is. And that's – if you're going to open up a neighborhood spot, I mean, you really – I wasn't trying to be trendy. I wasn't trying to stay on trends. Like, you know, the menu really doesn't change that much, and I sometimes wish it did. But every time I try to take something off – I get such backlash and or the specials that I put on, they never wanted to change. So for me, even now, I, I, I feel like I want to get back in and be a little more creative. But I also know that my customer base and my my neighbors, like this is what they want. And I, you know, it's so funny. Very often I'll ask a chef, you know, what are the one or two dishes that you can't take off your menu? And it sounds like you can't take anything off your menu. I can't. <laughs> I started doing a whole special. Whole, or, yeah. yeah, I started doing a whole um, fried Basque escovitch, like Caribbean style, with the pickled veg. And if we're out of Basque, it's problems. You know, like they. Uh, on the other hand, I do say to them, so that means you have to now try something else. Exactly. You know, but there are specials I put on. I mean, I put on. Blackened catfish with mac and cheese mm. and sautéed spinach, and I can't take that off. There's just why this is yeah why this is so refreshing too, Cheryl. Because I'm really thinking, you know, as young chefs, they keep on pushing the envelope and getting more too creative, and uh, food is starting to feel so unfamiliar. And it's a little bit you'll try it once because it's an experiment, but it's really the food that you're talking about now that you really crave, right? right? And These I, things are food to crave. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that, like with a lot of the young chefs, I mean, again, um, I try to use items that are readily available. And it's managing food costs because also people's budgets. It's like it's even hard for me to raise prices sometimes because I know what people are living through, even when prices go up and fluctuate in our market. 
But I also feel that they have to be sensitive to the fact that people want to experiment, but they also want to be satisfied and not feel a place leaving hungry because someone had this idea of, you know, redefining a kind of food. You know, I mean, we're there to cook. We're there to make people <laughs> feel good. Very nourished and nurtured. Shara, yeah. where did you grow up? And tell me about some of your mother's dishes and what you ate growing up. Well, okay, that's I, I actually was born in Jamaica. I was four when my mother my mother came to this country to work. She was very brave, I feel. She's totally my hero. But she left Jamaica, comfortable, you know, government job to come here to work as an au pair and a nanny to a family in Westport, Connecticut. So we were without her for two years. And then she brought us over. So in 69, I came to a sleepy port town in Norwalk, Connecticut. You know, I always say I, I was homogenized in Connecticut. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, people don't, they hear this voice and they don't see a black woman with locks, you know, but, but it's different. If I'd been raised, say, in a Brooklyn neighborhood, I would probably sound very different. Probably. A, like a Jamaican community. But anyway, I grew up in a little town, loved it. My parents are amazing mm. um, uh, hosts. Like they know how to throw a party. I feel like <laughs> I feel like a lot of things I learned about running a restaurant really comes from you their hospitality. Wow. Like the parties they threw. My father really hooked up the music and the bar and the vibe. And my mom was just, you know, <laughs> cooked amazingly and knew how to set the house and the yard or whatever to be very um it, just comfortable and easy, you know, is I, I learned a lot from them, more like so than even getting in the restaurant business. But I, it's translated because it's what I want people to feel when they come to my restaurant is that, you know, we got you. What do you need? I'm telling you, I felt it as soon as I walked in. It was the middle of the afternoon. Did your mother cook uh, primarily Jamaican food or was she also kind of homogenized her, no. her, her recipes at that point? <laughs> no, she cooked tra traditional. Uh, like Saturday was typically a, a soup because it was a day... You know, there's always a big soup going on because... Is that pepper pot? Is no, no, well, she'd occasionally do pepper pot, but it was more like um, stew peas or um, a kind of bean soup, which I found was really quite frugal. Like that Saturday, because Saturday was all about chores and everything. So she could have a big pot of chicken soup or pumpkin soup or something going on while we did all the chores and everything and sat down to a big salad and a soup. Um, were you a big bread. family, Cheryl? Did mm -hmm. your brothers and sisters, were you a big family? We're, there were uh, there are five of us, but um, two brothers and my parents. So mm -hmm. I always joke that I'm the youngest of three boys because I did everything they did. <laughs> um, but we would have that big, and it was in preparation because she was also, I realize now, prepping for Sunday meal. Like she was doing all her marinating mm. and everything and putting it in the fridge. So when she got up on Sunday, she would cook like the stewed chicken, curry chicken, or oxtail or you know the more traditional we would start with a jamaican breakfast of like aki and saltfish and dumplings and stuff like that so you know in retrospect i realized that what she was doing on saturday was just to feed us but also to create the sunday breakfast and dinners that we had mm -hmm. so we would do breakfast go to church come back dinner was served by like two three and then we'd that was kind the big of, meal of the day. Yeah, big yeah. meal of the day. And then, of course, you go back to it through the day, but we would have a lot of family time, watch movies together, hang out. I mean, my parents, my mom worked around the clock. She was super. I would not have this restaurant if, if not for her hard work. 
Just you mean watching her or just her inspiration? In her, her inspiration. Mm-hmm. And also she, in a sense, helped me get the money to buy. She's totally supported me in, in uh, opening this. Um, hence, I didn't need partners because she at some point was like had given me money to buy a house. She said, open a restaurant or buy a house or do something. But this is for you. Oh. And so I did the house. And <laughs> within a couple great. of years of more working, I was able to take some equity off of that. Mm. And open the restaurant solely as my own operator of it and didn't need partners because I have seen the pitfalls of having partners in this industry. But back to my mother, it was seeing how hard she worked for what, um, for us. Mm. Everything she did was to give us a different future. She left the islands because she knew there was more mobility here in the States. I mean, this is the land of immigrants, the land of opportunity. And whereas most of her siblings moved to England, she felt that they there was a ceiling there, like you couldn't really go far. Whereas America just being the land of opportunity, you could really come here, stake some ground, build something for your children. And she did. Live your dreams. Yeah. And it sounds like she really inspired you to do that. Amazing, Cheryl. But you are so entrepreneurial and I happen to know that you're working on some other things that um and then you became a TV star. So you <laughs> are also a consultant. I know you also have your catering business. I believe you're opening an Airbnb or a bed and breakfast. <laughs> but let's start with the TV stuff. Like how did you become a TV star on the melting pot? That was your own show on the Food Network. That was. Um and I you know initially my partner that I was with at the time um and she was super um, had so much confidence in me. And, you know, I would we'd be watching television and I'm critiquing, oh, God, you know, they're not they're not really cooking. You know, I was complaining all the time. She's like, well, why don't you do your own show? Ah. And I was like. <laughs> you had a lot of supportive like, women in your life, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> totally Beautiful. Um, but, yeah, she was just like, you know, I'm tired of hearing you bitch and moan about this. <laughs> And um, and then we got to work on the idea of, yeah, what if I had my own cooking show? And at the time, I, w- I remember watching PBS was one of my favorite shows. Food Network was okay. But I felt PBS really had great chefs on them. And real mastery. Yeah, real mastery. And my favorite cook was Madeline Kamen, mm. who I felt like didn't really get the real props as the real French cook, you know? Cheryl, you're right. And she was actually one of my favorites. And one of my favorite books of all time was hers, When French Women Cook. Mm. Oh, love this book. I have I have her books. And I used her books when I was teaching myself a lot of things also. Um, because her, her recipes are really tried and true. Elsa Stola, New York Times cookbook from my mother's house. Um, oh, the Craig Claiborne one? Yeah. With the blue linen cover? So there's no, I mean... That this comes up a lot on this show because that was everyone's favorite. Book. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, great recipes great and recipes. great base recipes to start your creativity from. Right, and global. global. He was one of the first to really bring. We mm-hmm. weren't traveling so much then. No, they were only traveling through these books, That's and I think right. at the time Julia Childs was popular. But again, I go back to Madeline because watching her cook and listening to her gave you so much insight into food, and you could feel the process. Like, I mean. Um, she just inspired me. And I was like, then I started watching the Food Network. And I'm like, they're not really teaching you how to cook. It's like, you know, the kind of ways you have to do that. Like you, they don't have time to watch water boil, you know, so, so I get that. But the real information that she gave, and the reasons why you do things, um, 
that was important to me. And I felt that I wasn't seeing that. So that's why I was complaining. So Robin, uh, my partner at the time was just like, okay, let's do this. So we literally saved money to, to budgeted. What would it take to do our own production? So it took us about a year to do that. Like we budgeted, we brought friends together who were in different facets of the industry, but everybody ultimately was like, well, we can't work for free. Um, and I'm like, I'm not saying that, but this could lead to something really cool. So ultimately we, we realized if we're going to do it, we're going to have to hire a crew, rent the equipment and do everything we needed to do. And I'm really not good about writing scripts. I'm much more off the cuff. And I, if I have, you know, an idea, I, I just run with it, which is ultimately Robin's frustration because you got to write this down, you know, and I'm like, no, I need an assistant. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so we we plotted everything. We laid it out, the shooting, the filming segments. Ultimately, the hardest part was probably getting an editor when we were done. Uh, And we chose to shoot it all on digital. And I wanted something that was more interactive, not just the state. Here's one camera. Today, we're going to be cooking. Like a cook and stir show. I think they called that. Exactly. I didn't want to do that. I felt that. It needed to be, an MTV was big at the time. I wanted to be more interactive. Like the camera is walking with me. There's a camera up ahead. We get there, like like much more film style. And I could turn and talk to the camera because, again, it's a conversation. So I did that. We did that. Um, we edited it. We did, you know, we didn't go over budget. I think it was like, it cost us like 14000 at the time. For the whole series? For the whole. Good we shot two pilots within this. We did a trailer. We had someone write the original music for the intro. Woo. Like, yeah, I mean, this is also, I got to say. Did I'm you also, sing? I'm also a photographer. No, I didn't sing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I'm also a photographer, so I used that eye to plot everything. Anyway, so we did that, and then we didn't know how to shop it because we're not in the industry. And luckily, we ran into a friend who said, oh, I'm a friends with Sarah Malden. Yes. So we got it to Sarah. She was like, oh, wow, this is cool. She took it right to the Food Network. Within a week, they called us in. They said, wow, this is very cool. Production values are even higher than our stuff. <laughs> like, this is very nice. Can you, would you be interested in doing some shows with us? And I was like, yes. What are you going to say? No, I'm going to, I only want my own show. No, I, I was like, of course, because I'll get the experience. So they started me on uh, guesting on a bunch of shows. Then they started me uh, pairing me with hosts for different shows I would do their holiday specials and do different things. I mean, it was fun. I mean, I clearly love to talk. That was easy. But this is one of the things with this industry I find that, um, and with, I think, the Food Network, they want to kind of pigeonhole you into doing a cuisine that they feel you're supposed to be doing. And I brought them an idea that was not about just black soul food. That was about world flavors, local ingredients. That's my thing. Um, because people want, I think what we're trying to do is teach you the basics of cooking like Madeline did, but also then like, let your creativity fly a little bit, teach people how to be comfortable in their homes, getting home and cooking, how to shop. I mean, not everybody's going to Costco and and buying, you know, the days of coming home with a ton of groceries is not the way people I think should eat. You should eat seasonally. I think you should eat in your zip code, I say. In your zip code, <laughs> shop local, get the things that you need to create meals for yourself. Because when you buy too much, something's going to rot. And that's also frustrating to buy all this stuff and never get to it. 
So you should shop more like I think Europeans do, grabbing a few things on your way home and eating fresher. And I think it, it helps your whole being. You're more satisfied. You're not frustrated with things that you didn't get to because that's what we do. We over we overdo and then we never get to things, you know? Yes. And of course, food waste, too, is such a big issue today. It's, so, you know, and mindfulness about all of this. Cheryl, when we come back, I'm going to want to talk to you about your legacy recipe and what's meaningful to you right now. If you're wondering about my beautiful theme music, it's called The Garden, written and performed by award-winning singer-songwriter Audrey Appleby. I remember you, you're the one who made my dreams come true a few kisses ago. Oh, wow, Cheryl. (laughs) (laughs) That's a first on One Woman Kitchen. You have a gorgeous voice. Thank you. And do you sing while you cook? I was always used to piss cooks off because I was, I just had songs in my head and I'm busy singing along or to the music and they're just like you know it would it would make them angry like because like what you're having too much fun <laughs> but to me cooking and singing are just go hand in hand that's so beautiful thank you you know we talked a little bit about your menu before and it being global and soul and very cool but we also chatted for a few minutes about the idea of cultural appropriation and your menu is is global and it's not all food that you grew up with or countries that you lived in or how do you kind of reconcile that right now i think it's just part of today's conversation and it will rectify itself in a way but it is what people are talking about and uh, and understandably so because there are a lot of ethnic foods that are not getting recognized or don't get the same amount of attention as someone appropriating uh, a type of food that they've never experienced and and getting the fame or and it's you know ultimately I do a bit of that but I again my you know my mother used to cook a lot of Caribbean food but she also played dabbled in a lot of cuisine like and she would do her take on different foods uh, that she was experiencing here and also get it to us in a way that expanded her repertoire but also just to make us happy she didn't want to exclude American foods I mean, we're definitely going to get American foods outside of her house, but um, she had a playful take on even lasagna, and and it was her integrity with the spices and herbs that made it. She tried to make it as authentic as she could, which is what I try to do with the foods I do. I don't just like just do superficial again with flavors. I really look at the cuisine. I look at authentic recipes. I used to try to a lot of times get into my friends' homes and have them cook it for me and or their mothers, which I feel, you know, they, they, and and the thing is with mothers, they cook without measurements. Oh yes. (laughs) You know, my mother would cut onions in her hands. I mean, now I go and I'm chopping onions and what do you need mom? And I get things ready, but they would cook and they just throw this and that. You have to watch them because ultimately you get a recipe, but you don't see what they've done, the pinch here, the dash there, how much they let this dry before they added the liquid, all that kind of stuff. So Even the um, size of the pan. And the sometimes size of the even pan. listening, right? Exactly. Listening to the you cooking. You have to use all your senses. That's and that's right. what, and that's the difference about walking to someone's home. Like I used to miss that when I would go to friends' home, invited to dinner, 
And I don't smell anything cooking. Unlike my mother's house, you walk mm. in, the house is full of this beautiful aromas and smells and you're, you're getting hungry just smelling it. So I think, um, you know, that's a real, the real backbone is, is finding those ingredients and things that really add to the authenticity of a dish, not just saying, I'm going to do a kind of, I mean, but ultimately we're not reinventing the wheel. We are doing our take on something. My thing is to try to make it as authentic as I can. But I've done my homework and then I give like due diligence and I do give like I hands back to the people that taught me this and let people know if even know the places where you can get this authentically because it's important. So it's I'm thinking about this. It's kind of like this kind of cooking is like scat singing, right? You have to know where you're coming from. You have to know what it was. You have to know the basics before you can start riffing. Yes. So I'm all for that. Great. Yeah. Okay, honey, you are a scat cooker. (laughs) (laughs) So Cheryl, legacy recipe. What would be a legacy recipe for you? Well, one would probably be my pancakes, but I mean... I saw those. They look amazing. Yeah. It's a buttermilk pancake recipe, and we do small batches, and we, you know, we don't... we It's made on the premise. We don't use a mix or something like that. And then true, real maple syrup, not some thing or some concoction that we make. So that makes it very true. And then really... It looks so fluffy, though. How did you get them so fluffy? You don't overmix. That's it? Like Which a biscuit? Is, don't, yeah, the whisk should never be in that. You can whisk your eggs a bit and whisk your wet ingredients together, but when you add the wet and the dry, fold it together, leave the lumps, you know, that's, that's what people tend to do. And then they overwhip it and it becomes tough and flat. You want buoyancy. You want you want the syrup to go just fall through it. You know they look like they were going to float. I saw <laughs> a plate of them walk by. Right, right. Said, look at those. Yeah. So it would be your pancakes. One, okay. That would be it. And then say my jerk, uh, jerk the jerk wings that we do, um, because it's that's one from my my country, as we say. And I actually even had to go back to the roots of that because a lot of people are buying bottle jerk mix or dry rubs, and they're but we make it Real using, jerk is wet, right? Real it's jerk like, is wet. wet yeah. So you have your dry ingredients that you roast, you toast and grind. So that's fresh. So everything from seeds. And then you add in the elements that are wet, the onions, the scallions, the scotch bonnet, the ginger. You know, you add those things. And again, you blend them together. And, and that's where jerk, you know, people have this idea that jerk is, means it's supposed to be one-dimensionally hot. It's not. It's about the spices that bring that flavor together. And then if you want hot, we do a hot sauce that we make from Scotch Bonnet. Because wow. I feel you should be able to eat it and taste everything. And then if you like it hot, we got you on that. Is there allspice in there? Allspice is key because pimento seeds, allspice berries, uh, in the islands, they would roast these things on the allspice wood. Oh. And that's where the flavor would come <laughs> up through. Yeah. So. Nice. Really nice. Yes. And do you have any, I know in Jamaica, they have very interesting drinks with hibiscus. And do you serve some of those? At, in the uh, in winter, I serve, uh, yeah, I serve the sorrel. Ah. It's called sorrel. And, and it's, that's all over the island in the, in the wintertime. You're going to, everybody's making sorrel, sorrel tea. And then you add rum, which makes it more better. I'm but, there. <laughs> that sounds delicious. But yeah, sorrel is, is a big thing. Wonderful. Cheryl, this has just gone by so quickly. 
So I have one last question. It's the question I ask everyone. What does One Woman Kitchen mean to you? One Woman Kitchen to me just harkens back to my mother. Working all day, all night, but she would be in that kitchen making sure that we had those breakfast in the morning and amazing meals and the food that brings the family together. And I think of her alone in that kitchen, just plotting her day, but making sure that she left love in that pot for us. Mm. Love in the pot. Doesn't get better than that. Cheryl, thank you so much for being with me today on One Woman Kitchen. And thanks to all of you for listening to me and Cheryl in my kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at RoseanneGold.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.